Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Hope Community Church Podcast. Hope exists to love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. And we believe that as we partner with God in His mission that we can see a world changed. Listen, if you're looking for notes to the message you're about to hear or links to other messages, we want to encourage you to check out the link in our description. If you're looking for more content and resources that we believe will be a blessing to your life, feel free to check out our YouTube channel or download our free app, which is available right now. If this message is a blessing for you, we want you to consider sharing it with your friends and family as we hope to get the message of Jesus spread across the globe. Thanks for joining us. Well, hello, 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 hello. I have missed you. I've missed you quite a lot. Uh, It is good to be with you. So glad to be with you. Listen, we've got uh, miles to go, and uh, I'm going to suspend my normal ridiculous banter and jump right in. Would you pray with me real quick, and then we can jump into this word. Father, I pray right now that you would speak, uh, that you would speak through me to your people. I pray, Lord, that you would get me out of the way and that we would hear clearly from the voice of our Father. I pray that we would experience the fullness of your spirit and all that you desire to do in and through this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I know about you. Here's what I know for sure about you. That among the many competing voices in your life, among the many competing themes, among the many competing challenges in your life, there is a desire somewhere, even if it's deep down, and I would say for many of us it's not that deep down, there, there is a desire for us to, uh, to believe that the message and the story of Jesus is valid. To believe that, that the message and story of Jesus is true. And I know this is true because there's a deep spiritual hunger inside of all of us. And nothing can satiate that hunger outside of Jesus. In fact, I read recently a quote from Sinead O'Connor. If you don't remember her, you're probably way younger than me. Uh, But she said, as a race, we feel empty because our spirituality has been wiped out. And we don't know how to express ourselves. As a result, we've been encouraged to fill that gap with alcohol and drugs and sex and money. People are out there screaming for the truth. And I believe that is a general description of every person on the planet, particularly here in the U.S., that we are screaming for the truth. We want to know what's true. We're searching for what is real. And yet there are challenges to that, aren't there? There are challenges to that. Even as we want it to be real, we're challenged by our host culture and its competing ambitions. We're challenged, frankly, I'm challenged by my desire to do things my own way. Just me. I'm challenged to do things my own way. That is my deepest struggle. We're, we're challenged by questions. And that's what this series, this entire series has been about, about the many questions we have, like, like why is there suffering and why do bad things happen and likely many, many others. But beneath all of those questions is one that stands out, one that I hope to answer for us. And that question is, Why did Jesus have to die? 
When you look at the compendium of thought and knowledge and information, even scripture and other belief systems, most other belief systems have a place for Jesus. It's just not the place that he put himself in. And what is lingering underneath so many of the questions that we have is this one big question. Why did Jesus have to die? What was the point of it? Once you and I know the answer to this question, the others soon cease to be hurdles between us and Jesus. And trying to answer that question can feel overwhelming, but I believe everyone deserves the opportunity to be clear on why Jesus had to die. You know, when I was still at university, I was struggling. I've shared that before. I was struggling. I, I believe I'd become a Christian as a teenager at 16 years old, but I got to Oklahoma University and it was too much exciting things going on at once. We'll just say that. And, and I was starting to get into this cycle of failure, guilt, shame, failure, guilt, shame, failure, guilt, shame. And I really believed that I was one mistake away from God being done with me forever. And then one day, after a particular stint of foolishness, okay? We'll just call it that. After a particular stint of foolishness, I found myself buried under my guilt and shame. And, and I flipped to the radio and I heard the preaching of a man named Alistair Begg. I still owe him a letter of thanks. He told a story of a theological debate that he was having with one of his friends. His friend believed that you could gain and then lose salvation. And Begg, of course, did not believe that. And so they were going back and forth for a moment. And Begg used Jesus' words from the scriptures, everyone the Father gives me will come to me and the one who comes to me I will never cast out and my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hand but his friend disputed but you can jump out and Begg's response resonated so profoundly that I've talked about it for over 20 years he turned to his friend and he said well are you more powerful than God then? In that beautiful Scottish accent. Something that I've prayed for many days. American is just boring. I mean, we can admit that, right? I mean, if I came and I began to preach like this, it would be a lot more interesting for... You would enjoy it quite a bit more. You say, that guy's, that guy's bloody smart, right? Are you more powerful than God then? Suddenly I felt this intense joy, this relief wash over me because God was not going to throw me away. If I am his, I am his forever. In that same sermon, Begg mentioned a book called The Cross of Christ by the late John Stott. And I picked up that book and I read it voraciously and it reinforced for me the love of God and that God's love was most ultimately displayed on the cross. And so like all good Christians, to celebrate my renewed sense of faith, I went to the tattoo parlor and got a second tattoo. <laughs> I got a cross on my back between my shoulder blades because I wanted to see that symbol as often as I could to be reminded of the love of God. 
And so the question underneath the question is, what is so special about the cross? What is so special ultimately about the death of Jesus? Well, the cross is the symbol of Christianity. It is the ultimate symbol of God's love for you and for me. In fact, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this, that the Son of God, the Son of God, that is Jesus, loved me and gave himself for me. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. It is as personal as that, that if you had been the only person in the world, the only person on the planet, the only person walking the face of the earth, God's love is so great for you that he would have given himself for you. That's what you would say. Amen. If it had just been you and you alone, God would have given himself over. He loves you that much. He loves you that much. He loves you so much. It's unconditional. It's wholehearted. It's continual. And understanding that completely changed my life. It changed my relationships. It changed my passions. It still impacts my marriage. It has changed our family dynamic. And I don't know what you think of when you think of the greatest love possible. Maybe you think of a boyfriend and a girlfriend. Maybe you think of a husband and a wife or a parent to a child. But if you can think of any image of the greatest love possible magnified by one million, and that is how much God loves you. And that great love, well, that's the reason Jesus had to die. And I want to talk about that today. Why does Jesus loving you and giving himself for you change everything in life when you grasp it and when you experience it? And why would it be necessary for Jesus to die because of God's magnificent love for you? Why would that be necessary? Well, the New Testament gives us at least five reasons. And if you're a note taker, and I believe many of you are, then you want to write these down so you can revisit them later, Okay. The New Testament tells us five reasons, and and the first reason Jesus had to die is because of the problem of sin, the problem of sin. You see, you and I, we're created in God's image. We're created in God's image. We're created beautiful. We're, We're created reflective of his beauty, of his creativity. We're, we're, we're created as a masterpiece. There is something unique, something noble, something beautiful, something magnificent. Human beings are capable of extraordinary creativity because they are created by the most creative being ever. Uh, because God is creative and they can produce great music and great art and great literature. Human beings are capable of great self-sacrifice and devotion and kindness. But there's also... Another side to the coin, isn't there? We are also capable of terrible things. You only have to open up your browser and open up to the news to see that there are awful things going on all over the world. There are evil things happening all over the globe. And the temptation is to say, well, listen, those are just evil people doing evil things. Those are just evil people doing what they do. But the world is more complex, and it is more complex than saying those are the evil people and these are the good people. It's more complex because we're complex, aren't we? It's more complex because we're complex. The same people who are capable of great love and great devotion and great kindness 
can also be capable of horrible, self-serving behavior. I've done things in my life that I deeply regret, things that I wish I could forget. Everybody tells me how great my memory is, and it is. I don't forget anything. And the other side of that is I don't forget anything. And there are things that I wish I could forget that are still locked into the recesses of my mind, things that I deeply regret. I've hurt people that I love. Why? Because all human beings are capable of creating tragedy and pain under the right circumstances. It's the problem that we're all facing. Sin causes us to do awful things, things that we regret, even as we are capable of creating great beauty in this world and loving deeply. And the Apostle Paul describes our complex nature this way. He says, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, sin, that, that's taken on a new kind of tone in our modern culture. Sin is, is almost, in, in a lot of ways, celebrated. But sin in the Bible is what erodes society. Sin in the Bible is what destroys human flourishing. Sin in the Bible is what actually robs you of the dignity that God intended. And Paul says, all have sinned and fallen short. What does that mean? All means all. You don't have to have a concordance to understand that. You don't have to have a theological degree. The, the Greek word for all is all. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not that we don't understand it, it's that it's hard to accept. It's hard to accept because we're all basically good people. And so it's hard for us to accept. In fact, I still find it hard. Can I, it's a safe place, safe place. I still find it hard to look at my own problems. It's very easy to point out what everybody else needs to deal with. But I need to look at the man in the mirror, to quote the late Michael Jackson. And sometimes I want to make excuses. And we do that. We look around and we try to make excuses. Because admitting that we too are capable of creating catastrophe is incredibly difficult. But if we're honest, if we're honest, we all know that we've done things that we knew were wrong. We all have the same problem. One pastor uh, that I heard used this illustration to capture Paul's meaning to the people that, that were in his life that thought they were good people. He said, I want you to imagine the world as a, as a pillar with two scales, uh, good and bad. And he would say to the people, who would you put at the top? And the people would say, you know, like Mother Teresa or, or maybe their mother if the relationship was where it needed to be. Uh, and, and, and then he would say, okay, well, if, 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 if Mother Teresa is at the top, who would you put at the bottom? Who would you put at the bottom? And, and, and they would say maybe like Hitler or Joseph Coney or Pol Pot, you know, one of those people. Maybe their boss if he's really terrible. And then the pastor would say this. Well, I think you'd agree that all of us are somewhere in between the top and the bottom. And the people would say, well, yeah, yeah, pastor, we agree. And, and he would follow that up, being a very humble man, and he would say, and I'm probably somewhere down closer to the bottom. And the people would say, yeah, yeah, you're probably somewhere down closer to the bottom. That would not make me feel very great as a pastor. And what do you see yourself? Well, I, I see myself somewhere kind of in the middle. And then the pastor would say to them, well, what do you think the standard is for where everyone falls? And the people would say, well, maybe the standard is the ceiling, and the pastor would say, no, look at the verse again. All have fallen short 
in sin and fallen short of the glory of God. The standard is not the ceiling. The standard is beyond the ceiling. The standard is the sky. The glory of God was revealed in Jesus. And compared to Jesus, we all fall a very long way short. Even my friends who are not followers of the way of Jesus, straight up atheists, will tell you that they believe that Jesus was a better man than they could ever be. That's what it means that we all fall short. And so you might say, well, if that's the case, then we're all in the same boat, so why does it matter? Well, it matters because in addition to the problem of sin, there's the pollution of sin. The pollution of sin had to be addressed. It's not just that we do regretful things, but, but that those things can spoil our lives and they can spoil our souls. Just, just like it's possible to pollute the environment, not a political statement, Jesus says it's possible to pollute your soul. The stuff that we do wrong can spoil our relationships, can't they? I've been there. They can spoil our opportunities. They can spoil our friendships. They can spoil anything. And if you're honest, you know that oftentimes that pollution comes with a great deal of pain as well. So the pollution of sin had to be dealt with. Not only the problem and the pollution of sin, but Jesus had to deal with the power of sin. The power of sin. Not only is sin the problem that disrupts our capacity to be the masterpiece we were made to be, and not only does sin spoil and pollute our souls, but the sin in our lives, the bad habits, the patterns, the practices, guess what? They are incredibly addictive. In fact, Jesus said this in John chapter 8. He said, whoever sins is a slave of sin. They're very addictive. My dad, my dad, and and if you're watching at some point, Dad, please forgive me. Uh, he is well known for his sweet tooth. Uh, my children call him the candy monster. And he's well known to go to bed at night, every night, every night, as long as I've known him. And I'm well into my 40s. And he'll make a giant double scoop of ice cream and then line the bowl with chocolate chip cookies. And he will eat this every night. And do you know this man has never gained a pound? And so I think to myself, well, I have his genetics, and perhaps I can start this ritual as well. Wrong. Wrong. No, if I look at sugar, I know it's going to cost me a mile on the treadmill. Secondly, I'm a known sugar addict. My kids call me Cookie Monster Jr., and I am known to be a sugar addict. And lastly, and interestingly, and, and, and I can say this, and, and I, I think you know this too, if, if you've eaten clean for a certain period of time and then put a bunch of crap back in your body, it, it makes me feel sick every time. Every time I do it, it makes me feel sick. And yet I find myself going back to it over and over again. Why? Because I'm addicted to the sugar, and I've somehow convinced myself that the only way to make myself feel better is to eat more sugar. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know what? That's a great definition of addiction, and that's exactly what sin does. We, we imbibe on it, and then it makes us feel terrible. But because we're addicted to it, we go back to it because we feel like it's the only way that we're ever going to feel better again. We know that sin is problematic. We know that it's polluting. We know that it's powerful, but we get addicted to the feeling of it, and then we get trapped Jesus also had to address the penalty of sin. 
And knowing there is a penalty attached to sin, well, that's innate in us, even if we try to suppress it. Here's what I mean. When we see something wrong happen in the world, we think somebody should address that. Somebody should do something about that. That's not right. Somebody should take care of that. In fact, for, for some of us, like, like my friend, I won't say his name, he, he even says out loud sometimes, well, if there's a God, why doesn't he intervene there? So we have this innate sense of justice. But you know what I had to say to him? I said, okay, when you say it that way, though, then you are presupposing that all evil is out there. And if you want God, and this is a direct quote, to deal with all the bad stuff in the world, that means he's got to deal with you. Now, I... Though I don't have a double standard that leads me to question God or faith, I do have a double standard that, that leads me to want things to be different just for me. And yet what does Paul say in Romans 2.1? You therefore have no excuse when you pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same thing. And so even as we have an innate sense of justice and that things should be righted, the temptation we have is, well, it's out there. It's not in here. And then finally, Jesus had to deal with the partition of sin. Do you know how it is when you've offended someone or they've offended you? You don't want to talk to them. You avoid them. You ask the kids' men director to change which classroom you're serving in, right? Maybe move to a new campus. Avoid that part of work for a while, whatever it is, you, you, you go out of your way because why? There's been a separation. And the New Testament teaches us that the things that we do that are wrong, they've caused a partition. They've caused a separation between us and God. That's the bad news. Sin causes separation. The good news is that there is a solution. God loves you. He loves you. And the Son of God, remember Paul's words, loved me and gave himself for me. God has come to this earth in the person of his Son to do something about the problem and to do something about the pollution and to do something about the power and to do something about the penalty and to do something about the partition of sin. That's why Jesus had to die. The Apostle Peter put it like this, he himself that is, Jesus bore our sins, that's your sins, your sins and my sins in his own body on the tree, that is the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. It's described as the self-substitution of God. In fact, I heard this true story of this very courageous woman. I don't have time to get into the details of it, but, but this true story that uh, in the middle of a hijacking, she put herself between the passengers and the hijackers, and she saved multiple lives because she gave herself for them. In fact, she saved 39 Americans out of 41 because she gave herself herself for them. And in an even more spectacular fashion, that is what the Bible is saying, that Jesus stood in front of the bullets and he took them for you so that you could live and not die. The cross was the height of pain and the depth of shame. And yet the New Testament doesn't concentrate on the physical suffering of Jesus. What it concentrates on is the unique nature of Jesus' crucifixion. 
because he was suffering spiritually, because he was bearing on himself your sin and my sin, your guilt and my guilt, your shame and my shame. In fact, there's an Old Testament verse that prophesies the death of Jesus. And it goes like this in Isaiah 53, 6, it says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I, I heard someone explain it this way. I heard someone explain it this way. He, he said, let this hand represent you and me. Let this hand represent you and me. And let this journal represent the ledger of your life. Now, you don't have to tell me. You don't have to admit it. You don't even have to blink your eyes. I know and you know that we all have the same problem. So imagine that this is the journal of the ledger of your life. Everything you've ever done wrong, every bad thought you've ever had, every bad attitude you've ever had, every person you've ever disrespected, everything that you've ever done to hinder human flourishing, it is in this ledger. And imagine in this hand, it's empty. It's empty because it's free and it's light. And that is where Jesus is. And the Bible says all of us have gone astray, each to their own way. And yet Jesus is over here, and he never did anything wrong, and he never did anything bad, and he never sinned against the Father. And what the Bible is telling us is that because of the goodness of God, God took your ledger and laid it on Jesus so that you could be light, and you could be free, and you could be whole, and you could flourish, and you would not be bound by the things that you've done, that you would not be the sum of the last worst thing that you did. That is the good news of the gospel. That is the good news of the gospel. That he has laid it on him. We have this glorious event of the cross and the resurrection, this beautiful diamond in which God revealed to us how much he loves us. And because of the supreme love of God, guess what? All of those things are reversed. The partition of sin has been removed. You can come home. What St. Paul says is God was in Christ reconciling the world. That is you and me to himself. You see, the cross was not God punishing an innocent third party. That would be barbaric. No, God himself was in Christ because God God himself came to die for you and for me. Not only has the partition been removed, but the penalty has been paid. The guilt has been removed. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been justified. You know, for years I found this difficult to understand. And someone used this analogy and it helped me. It's not a true story. It's just an analogy. I want you to imagine two friends. They grew up together. Best friends best buds. And as they got older, as often is the case, their paths started to diverge. One became a lawyer. The other became a criminal. And eventually the lawyer became more successful and he became a judge. And eventually the criminal became more successful and he found himself imprisoned over and over again. And one day the judge is sitting behind his desk presiding over a case, and in walks a man, and he looks at the man, and he says, I think I recognize him, and he realizes that that's his friend. Well, now he's got a dilemma. This is my best friend in the world. I've got a responsibility to be just. I've got a responsibility to take care of what he's done. I've got a responsibility to charge him this fine. Let's call the fine $26,000. That was the justice that was owed. But imagine this judge looking at his friend, rendering the judgment. 
$26,000. And then he stands from behind his desk and he takes off his judge's robe and he comes and he sits next to his friend and he writes the check for the penalty. That is what God has accomplished for you. He has to be just. He has to be just. He has to give the penalty that is owed. But because he's good and because he loves you, he steps down from his place of judgment and he actually covers the cost. The debt is paid. The ledger is reconciled. You owe nothing when you are in Christ. Thirdly, the power of sin is broken. Jesus has paid it all. If the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. The pollution of sin has been removed. There is continual forgiveness. The Apostle John wrote that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And finally, the problem of sin is dissolved. (laughs) It is no longer your problem if you are in Jesus. Jesus has taken the problem on himself, and he has made it his own. He's made it his own. And so what I would encourage you to consider is that today can be a pivotal day for your life. Maybe you're already a follower of the way of Jesus, okay? Well, then I hope it was a reminder of good news Good news that you should return to over and over again. Understand that the gospel is not JV. The gospel is the path that we walk until the end. Amen? But for those of us who are not, today can be a day that changes your life forever. As you allow Jesus to take care of the problem and the pollution and the power and the penalty and the partition of sin. You can have eternal life. You can have freedom in God's family forever. And so I implore you, I implore you, trust in Jesus today. Trust him. Trust the reasons he had to die so that you can live. So that you can live. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to come into your life. Ask him to give you eternal life. But if that feels too high a hurdle, then can I encourage you at least to grab a book by one of my favorite authors, N.T. Wright, entitled Simply Jesus. It will be an incredible companion as you ask the questions and investigate the claims of Jesus. The entire point of this series was to tell you that you do not need to feel guilty for questioning. And you don't need to have it all figured out. You don't need to have it all sorted in a sermon. It's not about if you deconstruct. It's about how you reconstruct. And as you are reconstructing, understanding why Jesus had to die sits at the center of that process. God bless you. And so I want to leave you with these words that I hope will resonate in your heart for weeks to come. The Son of God loved me and he gave himself for me.
and he gave himself for you. And if you'll receive him today, nothing in your life will ever be the same. Father, we thank you for speaking through your word. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for your kindness in giving yourself for us. Thank you for taking care of the problem of sin. Thank you for cleansing the pollution of sin. Thank you for breaking the power of sin. Thank you for paying the penalty of sin. Thank you for tearing down the partition of sin so that we can be in community with you forever. I pray that we would receive this word today and that our lives would be fundamentally changed because of it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message and encourage you to share it with your friends and family. If you live in the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina, we'd love to meet you at one of our weekend gatherings. For campus locations, service times, and information on our children and student environments, check out gethope.net. To make sure you don't miss our next message, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. We would like to invite you to support what we are doing by visiting gethope.net slash give. Through generosity of people like you, Hope can run programs like our food pantry, homework club, project classroom, and many more.